Welcome back to another episode of Seasoned Crime. My name is Jasmine Nicole, and I'm the host of this weekly podcast that gives you a story about a minority. Every Tuesday, I'm going to bring you a true crime story that highlights someone who isn't part of the majority. There are a lot of true crime podcasts, and a lot of them cover the big stories, so I wanted to make a space for the stories that aren't being told as loud or as often. Pro-minority does not mean anti-majority. I just don't want to tell those stories. I want to give you true crime with a little extra seasoning added. I want to take away the boundaries of race, religion, sexuality, and just shine a light on the stories that either have been completely hidden or hadn't gotten as much recognition as the other stories. Today's story did get some media attention when it happened, um, especially locally. We are going down to the Sunshine State. Where's the one place you feel the most comfortable or the safest? where nothing can hurt you. I feel like for most people, that's at their home. No matter what's going on outside, if you can just manage to make it locked inside your home, you're good, but not in this case. Today, I'm going to highlight Sasha Samudin and tell you how the place and the people around her should have made her feel the safest, but she was anything but. Sasha Samudin graduated from the University of Florida. At the age of 27, she was living in Orlando and working as a social media manager for an apartment in a real estate company. I was looking at some of her videos online and she managed the social media accounts as well as did videos promoting the apartments. Sasha was a beautiful woman who was always bubbly and happy and she loved having a good time. Sasha was the definition of work hard, play hard. During the week, you would find her working at her job, but once it was time to clock out on Friday, Sasha could be found getting ready for her weekend out. Sasha loved going out and partying and drinking and just having a good time with her friends, and she partied just as hard as she worked, so she earned it. Saturday, October 17th, 2015, Sasha and some of her friends went to a soccer game for one of their favorite teams. They were all dressed to represent in the team color purple to show their support. They had a great time, and to make things better, their team won. Living on a high of the win, they decided to keep things going and to go out and celebrate, and they ended up in a club in downtown Orlando called The Attic. After a day of fun and drinking, Sasha was lit by 12.30, so much so that she was ready to call it quits and head home. Her friend Anthony, who was out with her, said it wasn't unusual for the friends to separate when they went out sometimes. Sometimes they would go to other places or other bars, but they would always end up meeting up later. He said bye to Sasha, and he continued his good time while Sasha attempted to wake her way home. The bar scene area that they were in was about 10 blocks from Sasha's apartment. She was walking around the street visibly drunk and realizing that she couldn't find her phone or her keys. This was a very populated area that night, and it turns out that two girls who didn't know Sasha noticed her walking alone drunk, and they also noticed some men near her that were speaking to or about her. They saw so many red flags that they went up to Sasha just to check and make sure she was okay. Sasha insisted that she was fine and that she was on her way home, but she couldn't find her phone. There was no way that these girls were leaving Sasha in the state that she was in, so they ordered an Uber and had Sasha get in the car with them and dropped her off at her place. They pulled up to a light near Sasha's, and as soon as she noticed that they were at her complex, she opened the door and ran out of the car. 
As if these girls weren't already amazing, they stuck around for a bit just to make sure and watch to see that she got inside the door. They would later say that they watched Sasha get into the building following behind some other residents because she didn't have her keys. After they saw her safely get into the building, they left. And that was the last that they saw of her. I'm going to pause the story for a bit and unpack what I just told you. As a girl who has had more nights than I want to admit that were out um, and I was drunk or friends around me were drunk, I have to put some knowledge out there for you guys. First off, the fact that it was normal and okay for Sasha and her friends to separate and go their own ways on a regular basis while out partying, I want to clarify that is not okay. Something I have always lived by is if you came with me, you leave with me. This is for anyone, whether you're my friend or if you're someone who tacked along with another friend and just came out for the night, it doesn't matter. Everybody's leaving together. I don't care if you want to go home or if we end up staying a little bit longer or if we got to carry your drunk ass to the car, but either way, when it's time to go, we all go together. Along with that, I also want to praise the angels that happened to be in the right place in the right time, which were those two girls who could just tell that something was off. I always say that the best place to be when you're out drunk is in the girl's bathroom because it's like an unspoken rule that everyone there just loses judgment and looks out for one another. The fact that no matter who you are or where you're from, as a woman, you've either taken care of the drunk friend or you've been the drunk friend. But either way, there's a sense of solidarity and protection and that's what these girls had. They could have easily went along their way um, and enjoyed their night and kept going, but seeing a woman alone stumbling around with a group of men near was a flashing sign of a potential problem. Not only did they check on her, but they also made sure that she got home safely. Then, as if that wasn't enough, they stayed to watch to make sure she got inside. Even though, sadly, this story doesn't stop here, I do have to say that those girls are the true heroes of this story. Their fast thinking and sense of awareness to go out of their way for Sasha for no other reason other than her being a drunk girl who looked to be in an unsafe setting made them the real MVPs. So now let's get back into the story. That next morning, Sasha and her friend Anthony, who she had been out with the night before, had plans to meet up for breakfast. Anthony showed up, but Sasha never did. He attempted to call and text a few times, but she didn't respond. At the time, though, he didn't think too much of it. Maybe she got too drunk and was still passed out in bed or hungover, so he ate his breakfast and ended up leaving. He didn't stop trying to get a hold of her, though. At least a couple hours afterwards, he was still trying to get a hold of her with no response, and he just felt like something wasn't right. Sasha was extremely active on social media, and her phone was basically glued to her hand at all times. Either she was online or she was texting, so to not hear anything at all for her or to not be active online was not like her. He ended up reaching out to a couple of their friends, and no one had heard from her at all, so the three friends decided to go by her place and check up on her. When they pulled up to the apartments, one of the first things they saw was Sasha's car in the parking lot, so they were able to let out a little bit of a sigh of relief. They glanced at the car and looked around it, and everything looked fine. Sasha had had plans to go to a baby shower later that day, and she had left the gift that she was going to take to that baby shower in the back seat, so you, you saw that when you looked in the vehicle. They felt a lot better seeing this, but they would feel even more better once they laid eyes on Sasha. They called and called, and 
No answer, so they made their way to her apartment door and knocked and knocked, but still nothing. They recognized here that something was extremely wrong, and so Anthony called 911 to report that his friend was missing. Prior to calling the cops, the friends had already tried local hospitals and jails trying to look for her, and they explained that they were at her place and her car was there, but there was no Sasha. The police quickly arrived, and based on the information they had been given, they also felt like something was off, so they got with the apartment complex and gained entry to their apartment. When the police entered, they walked around, and they didn't really see anything at first. There was a slight smell of cleaning solution in the air, but the place itself looked just fine. That is, until one of the officers noticed something sticking out of the comforter on the bed. The officer got closer and moved the comforter to see exactly what was sticking out into their shock. It was Sasha's dead body laid out in her own bed. Her hair and her arms were sticking out, and that's what the officer had noticed. Sasha's apartment immediately turned into a crime scene. The smell of cleaning products stood out even more now, and the smell was stronger around Sasha's body. Also, there was discoloration noticed on the comforter that was covering Sasha. It looked like it may have been bleach spots splashed on it. A condom wrapper was found under the bed, and Sasha's blouse and her bra had been ripped. Sasha had been wearing a pair of white pants, which were nowhere to be found, along with her underwear and the brown purse that she had been seen with. On Sasha's body, there were noticeable signs of strangulation with marks on her neck. Before knowing that something was wrong, everything else in the apartment seemed to be in place. But after finding Sasha's body, they were looking around with a different eye for anything that was out of place. Something that did seem odd was the toilet seat was up. Obviously, this isn't proof of anything, but in this case, it was a little weird because... Sasha lived alone, so there was no reason for her to lift up the toilet seat. The forensic team decided that, you know, maybe it was something, maybe it wasn't, but either way, they looked over the toilet and they were able to pull a fingerprint from the toilet lid and hoping that may give them some insight into something. They also got male DNA off of Sasha's body. So here they were, with a few fingerprints and a dead body that was doused in cleaning solution, found inside of a locked apartment. There were so many questions, but no real answers here, so they decided that they needed to retrace her steps. First, they started with the on-site security guard at the apartment complex to see if maybe he saw anything. Stephen Duxbury was the security guard on duty the night of Sasha's murder, and he said he remembered seeing Sasha that night. She came to the security desk because she didn't have her phone or her key fob, and she couldn't remember the door code, so she wanted to see if he could help her get in. He said that he could instantly tell that she was drunk, but he was unable to let her into her apartment. So since he couldn't let her in, Sasha asked him if he would be able to walk with her to her car to see if she could find her items, and he agreed. They made it out to the parking garage when out of nowhere, Sasha said she remembered the code to get in, so they never made it to the car. Instead, they turned right around and went back into the building. She went back to the door and entered the code that she thought she remembered, but it wasn't working. At this point, Stephen said he'd been away from the post for too long, and he didn't want to get in trouble, so he had to get back. He left, and he assumed that she had just followed in behind somebody, because the next time he saw her, she was walking down the hall with the man. Everything seemed normal, so he didn't think much of it. This gave them a little bit more to go on, but essentially, it just added more questions and gave little to no answers. 
the cops decided to go back to the start of Sasha's night out. They were able to pull security footage from the bar area, and Sasha was easy to find and stood out in her white pants and purple shirt. The first sighting was of her coming out of the bar. She was visibly drunk at this time, and she can be seen stumbling around, and she is also by herself. There was a slight glitch in the film, so there was about six seconds missing, and when it comes back, you see Sasha with two women. The police had put out a request looking for these women, and they came forward to speak and tell how they made sure that she got home, just because they were scared to leave her out by herself after they heard some men trying to talk to her. These were the women, the heroes that I had mentioned earlier in the story. After that, there was nothing more to be found in the downtown area, so they went back to the apartment to review the footage that was there. There were security cameras on each floor of the building, as well as by the entrance and the exits. At 1.46 a.m., Sasha is seen in the building going towards her apartment. There was audio with the footage, so you can hear that not only was Sasha drunk, but she was very loud walking through the halls. A man is seen on the camera coming out to ask if she was okay, and Sasha can be heard saying that she was just fine. That man was determined to be another resident of the building, and he was never seen on any footage after that, so he was ruled out of any further investigation. The next time Sasha can be seen, she's picked up on the security footage about 15 minutes later at 2.06 a.m., and this time she is running through the stairwell alone. You can hear the audio, and you can hear Sasha's shoes making a lot of noise as she's running. There's no one else with her during this sighting either. The final time Sasha can be seen on camera is at 2.35 a.m., and this time she is seen with Steven, the complex security officer. Matching his story, you can see the two of them going out to the parking lot and then soon coming back in, just like he said when Sasha had mentioned that she remembered the coat. That was the last time that Sasha was seen alive. Once again, this gave no answers, only questions. With a lot of information but little to help them actually solve the murder, they decided to just look at a few men who could possibly be suspects and see where it took them. They did have the fingerprint that was found on the toilet lid, as well as the DNA that was found on Sasha's body, so they just went with a few people that could possibly be suspects and hoped that they would get somewhere from it. The security officer had mentioned that the last time he saw Sasha, she was walking down the hall with a man, so they first looked at a couple of men in Sasha's life. Sasha had two men that could still be relevant, so they started there. First, they looked at a bartender named Taylor. He wasn't the bartender that was serving Sasha that night, but he was someone that Sasha had messed around with a few times. Taylor said that they were never exclusive, and he didn't even see Sasha that night. He was at work till 9.30, and then after work, he went home. Willingly, he gave up a sample of his DNA, which did not match, so he was ruled out. Next was Sasha's ex, Ben. Even though Sasha's phone had not been found, her iPad was in her apartment, so they were able to pull messages from there. The last text that Sasha sent was at 5.12 a.m., and it was to Ben. And all the message said was Ben. According to Ben, him and Sasha had briefly dated, and they actually had plans to meet up over the weekend. However, that had never happened. He was hanging out at a friend's house the night of Sasha's murder, and he also gave up his DNA willingly, which was not a match. At this point, the cops had nowhere else to look except for the last person that they know for sure was with Sasha, and that was Stephen Duxbury, 
the complex security guard. The cops went back to Stephen with some follow-up questions. The police straight up asked Stephen if he had gone into Sasha's apartment, and he responded by saying, um, I'm not supposed to go into any of the apartments. This answer caused some raised eyebrows. I mean, if you hadn't been in the apartment, why not just say that you hadn't? But instead, Stephen didn't deny being in there. He just said he wasn't supposed to go in there. When Stephen was being interviewed, it was also noticed that he had fresh marks and scratches on his arms, which could have possibly been defensive wounds. So with all of this, they felt like it was necessary to look deeper into Stephen. His shift at the complex had ended at 6 a.m., and according to Stephen, that's when he left and went home. However, after further review of the security footage, it was determined that that was a lie. Stephen can be seen on surveillance walking to the second floor parking garage at 6.36 a.m. with two garbage bags in his hands. These garbage bags were clearly white with red handles, which were the exact same type of garbage bags that were found inside Sasha's apartment. No part of his job role included taking out the trash. All he was supposed to do was report if any of the residents left their trash out. So why was he taking out the trash? And... Even so, why was he doing it after his shift was over? At this point, things just weren't adding up for Steven, so the cops decided to get a sample of his DNA. And while they were waiting on those results, they also gave him a polygraph test. This wasn't good for Steven at all. There were two questions that were asked that caused the needle to jump, indicating that he was lying. The first was the same question they had asked him before, and that was if he had ever been inside Sasha's apartment. And the other question that indicated a lie was if Sasha was strangled. The second question stood out even more because the cops hadn't released how Sasha was killed, so no one other than the killer and the police would have even known that information. Not only did Stephen fail the big questions in the polygraph test, but when the DNA came back, it showed Stephen as being the source of DNA found on Sasha's body, as well as confirming that the fingerprint that was found on the toilet lid was also his. Nothing was looking good for Stephen, but they needed to be 100% sure, so they asked Stephen to provide them with the shoes that he was wearing to work on the night of the murder. There was a shoe print that was found near Sasha's body, and they wanted to see if Stephen's shoe matched that print. But when they compared the shoes that Stephen gave them to what was there at the scene, it wasn't a match. They did find something interesting in the search history of Stephen's phone, though. On the night of the murder, Stephen searched how to defeat a digital lock. This was the exact type of lock that was on the door to Sasha's unit. October 23rd, they got a judge to sign off on a search warrant for Stephen's place, where they in fact found actual shoes that he was wearing that night, and as expected, those shoe prints matched. Stephen was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, attempted sexual battery with physical force, and burglary of a dwelling with assault and battery. Investigators believed that after Stephen knew that Sasha had made it into her apartment, he then broke in, raped her, strangled her to death, and then poured cleaning solution that he had gotten from Sasha's cabinet onto her body, hoping to get rid of any evidence. In a press conference, the police chief of Orlando, John Mina, spoke out and said that Sasha's death was completely random. There was no indication at all that Stephen knew Sasha outside of being the security officer at the building that she lived at. 
33-year-old Stephen was a married man who had no prior criminal history, and he had worked at the complex for about five months prior to the murder, with none of the residents ever being alarmed at all by him. The case went to trial, which lasted for seven days, with four hours of deliberation. Medical examiner Gary Etz said that he had never in his career seen an internal neck fracture as severe as Sasha's. That, along with the bruising on her body, were clear that her death was no accident. Andy Tran, one of the police officers who first interviewed Stephen after finding Sasha's body, says that when they first spoke to Stephen, he was nervously pacing up and down the hallway. Defense attorney Aaron Delgado tried to fight for his client, saying that it was possible that sex between the two of them was consensual, and it's possible that someone else broke in after they had had consensual sex and committed the murder. He disgustingly said that Sasha was drunk, so maybe she was so happy that Stephen had offered to help her earlier when he was willing to walk her to a car that maybe because of that, she invited him over for sex, and not just regular sex, but based on her heavy drinking and sexual preferences, she liked her sex rough. So that could have been the cause of the bruises, and even if Stephen was the one to choke her, it was part of the rough consensual sex they were having. Ugh, I feel gross just saying that out loud, so how the DA was able to stand up in a court and say these things is beyond me. Thankfully, though, they didn't go for it at all, and Stephen was found guilty of the crime. Prior to sentencing, the court allowed Sasha's parents to give a very emotional statement about what it was like for them to lose their only daughter this horrific way. Prior to sentencing, the court allowed Sasha's parents to give a very emotional statement about what it was like for them to lose their daughter in this horrific way. Sasha's mother, Tara, spoke first. She had worked as an ER nurse for most of her working career, but after Sasha's murder, she said she had to quit because she just couldn't handle it anymore when rape victims would come in. She wasn't even able to treat them. She was quoted as saying, We will never have a last supper with my daughter again. Her father will never walk her down the aisle. Every wedding I attend, I know that we will never have any of that with my daughter. Sasha's father, Kevin, also said a few things, saying that after all of this, his daughter will continue to live on through their memories. And he took the time to thank the Orlando Police Department for all the work that they put in to making sure that their daughter's murderer was brought to justice. Stephen was sentenced to two life sentences and an additional 15 years for burglary. He will never see the outside of a prison again. This story was such an eye-opener for me personally. In so many different ways, I saw pieces of myself in Sasha. I have been Sasha before, and from what I can tell you, just like I mentioned in the beginning of this, the best feeling is when you finally get into your place. You know, even if you're drunk, and in her case, she didn't have her phone or her ID or anything, but all of that can be dealt with later because she had safely made it home. Along the way, there were so many things and people that showed that not all of humanity was lost. The hero girls who got her home, the resident who came out of his place just to check and make sure that she was okay when he heard her outside. The fact that the one person who was there to ensure her safety was the person who ended her life goes to show that you never truly know anybody. I hate so much that this happened to Sasha, but I hope that this story is not told in vain. As always, I appreciate everybody for listening today. And if you haven't done so, 
please don't forget to rate and subscribe the show on your listening platform. Also, please share and repost the podcast on whatever social media platform you use. Make sure if you're not already to follow the show page on Instagram at Seasoned Crime. And if you have anything at all, you can also email me at seasonedcrime at gmail.com. I have also started a TikTok page for the show where I will be going and uploading three-minute videos for all of our episodes starting from the beginning, so make sure to follow us and check us out there as well. I'll be back next week to bring you yet another story about a minority. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Season Crime. Today's episode was researched, edited, and recorded by your host, Jasmine Nicole.